us. A few things, you guys can read that for yourself. Next week, volunteer lunch, that's going to be awesome. RSVP through the QR code that's on your page there. Uh, just RSVP lunch. Uh, end of the month, we're getting together at our house. Eating, talking about is Jesus the only way? Questions of fun, good discussion. Um, if you're new, you can go ahead and use that QR code as well and just give us your, your email and we'd love to send you a little gift in the mail this week and just say thanks for coming and hanging out. And you can also do prayer requests through that QR code that's on that sheet too. So uh, go ahead and just be aware of all that stuff. But the most important thing probably in that program is what's inside the shell and that is an outline for you to follow along this morning. So you're going to need it. I'm excited for what God has in store for us. So turn to Acts chapter 2. If you would, and uh, this morning we get to look at Peter's first sermon. Peter's first sermon. And I was thinking about my first sermon. So I, I was called to ministry at age 15, and, and that's a whole different story for a whole different time. Uh, God took this aspiring rock star who thought he was going to be the next guitarist for ACDC and said, no, you're going to serve Jesus for the rest of your life. And I just said, okay, I don't know what that looks like, but... Um, no one would have guessed Scott Morgan was destined to be a pastor. And some of you are still going, we question that call on your life. So that's okay. That's all good. We're in, we're in good company. But I started leading Bible studies, and I did not know what I was in for. Number one, the Bible was a new, new book for me. And uh, leading young adult college-age Bible studies, boy, that was fun. You know, people fighting about this, people fighting about that. And I thought, Christians fight about a lot of stupid stuff. I, I, I continue to grow in that knowledge and, and learning that about the church. Not our church, other churches, of course. So, um, But then I got that opportunity to preach my first sermon in church. And nothing prepares you for your first sermon in church. It was probably 25, 26 years ago. And the pastor that I was working under basically said, hey, you want to do the Sunday night service. So uh, it was a Baptist church, and uh, I'm a recovering Baptist. So can you say, hi, I'm Scott. I'm a recovering Baptist. Hi, Scott. Yeah, you're recovering Catholics. You're recovering whatever you're recovering from. Like all of us are recovering. Um, so I was at a Baptist church. So, you know, the Baptists, these people, you go to church on Sunday mornings because you love the church. You go to church on Sunday nights because you love the pastor. You go to prayer meeting on Wednesday night because you love Jesus. That's how the Baptist church works. So, but he gave me the, the Sunday night service and said, you want to speak on Sunday night and do the sermon? I was like, okay. And uh, so I picked as my text, now go, go figure, the, the account of Manasseh from 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. Now, as your first opportunity out the gate, you know, those are usually not the texts you go to, right? People are like, you know, half the service is spent just trying to find those books in the Bible, right? So, but I, I picked Manasseh because Manasseh was this guy who uh, rebelled against God, and yet God was gracious to him and turned his life around. So it's really a, a story of grace. And that's what I want to communicate. But I tell you what, what a hard group to share a message with. Baptist on Sunday night. I mean, everyone's still lethargy from their afternoon buffets because the Baptists do meals like none other. But I tell you what, you're, you're, you're communicating the word, and so you have your audience, right? And most of them are probably over the age of 50, 60. Uh, I'm going to just put the most of them as octogenarians, and they're all falling asleep, right? They love Jesus, and they're worshiping him in, his own, in their own way snoozing, whatever. So you're preaching to this really lifeless crowd, right? You throw a few little jokes in there, and everyone's just kind of like, it's kind of like that meme. You, did you see the meme this week of Bernie Sanders sitting there with his, his, his mints on, like, uh, preaching to a Lutheran crowd? <laughs> you know, when the sermon is just not good enough, or when the sermon's not good enough in the Pentecostals, you know. The Baptists are like that all the time, right? So I'm preaching. But I can tell you right now, too, thinking about my own delivery, right, there was probably a lot of ums and ahs. You never listen to public speakers and be like, Oh, they're saying mm and oz lot, and there's probably a lot of this. Remember I confessed this to you a long time ago when I used to preach? I used to be so into what I wanted to say that I wanted you to be with what I was saying, so I wanted you to do this like as a, a sign of like, do you get me? Do you get me? So I've come a long way, you know. I'm not doing a lot of mm's and ahs anymore, and I'm not doing a lot of this. This would drive you guys crazy. Uh, I still have my, my issues when it comes to preaching. My wife always says, you either focus over in this area. So that, that crew over there, you're going to get a lot of my attention today. So I love you guys. Don't take it personally. I look back there at that table where Norman and Paula are. Hi, you guys. Uh, I'm going to look over here, right? I rarely look here. This is why these people sat here. They're like, we're not going to get looked at today, right? 
But I tell you, my first sermon was, it was, it was fun. I don't remember any of the points. I remember the text. That's about it. But in 25 plus years, I've come a long way. I, I, I enjoy it. I love it. It is a gift. And we come to Peter's first sermon. I'm going to tell you what, Peter's first sermon, he hits a home run right out of the gate. And it's remarkable uh, because this is a guy who just 50 days prior to this first sermon was, was a coward. And in 50 days, God revolutionized his life. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that. So turn your Bibles, Acts 2. Let's read the passage because his first sermon, I don't want to focus on necessarily his, his, the way he presents. We're not given that. We're just given the content. But the content of his sermon is so, so good. And we're not going to be able to get through the entire sermon today. It's actually probably going to take two or three weeks. So we're going to look at the first part today. But it's a, it's a powerful message right on the heels of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the early church. 120 people who have, been, who have gathered for prayer. God said, just wait because my spirit's going to come upon you. And you're going to be motiv- mo- mobilized for service. And so we saw last week how God from heaven just broke through the sound of a sound of a rushing wind the, the visible manifestation of this fire upon the disciples and the speaking in tongues and and we don't want to put too much emphasis on the sound and the sight and and the tongues god wants us to focus on the content and what were they speaking in all these known languages they were speaking of the great things of god the mighty deeds of god and then Peter steps up because all these people in the crowd, some of them were like, we hear the mighty works of God being communicated in our own native language. But others were like, they're just drunk because they couldn't hear the message. It sounded like a cacophony to them. It was just a bunch of noise. So Peter stood up at this moment to give an explanation of what was happening. Look what he says, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. So if we back up, actually, look at verse 12. Acts 2, and they continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Which is always, whenever there's happenings going on in our lives, it's always good to go, what do these times, what do these things mean, right? The past couple years, what we've been through, right? With COVID, with the presidential elections, with all the things that we bicker about, which I'm going to tell you right now, none of them are worth, they're not hills worth dying on. Can I get an Amen. Uh, but we are to discern the, the times we live in. What do these things mean? I'm going to be the guy that says God's continually trying to get our attention. Because what doesn't matter in time and eternity is how, what your stance is on COVID. What doesn't matter in time and eternity is who got in the White House. What doesn't matter in time and eternity is how you feel about this issue or that issue. What matters for time and eternity is where you stand with God in Jesus Christ. And that's the most important thing. So these people are going... There's something supernatural happening. What does this mean? Look at verse 13. But others were mocking and saying they're just a bunch of drunks. And that's when it comes to those whose eyes have not been opened, whose hearts have not been awakened, they don't perceive how God's working. Right? God reveals himself to whom he wants to reveal himself to. But there are going to be others who don't understand it. Why? Because their hearts have not been opened up by God yet. So Peter steps up. Look at verse 14. Peter, taking his stand with the 11, raised his voice and declared to them. Now, you know Peter, he liked opening his mouth a lot. You, you guys remember in Jesus' ministry, if, if, if someone stood up and, and gave an answer, whether it was right or wrong, it was Peter. And, and so many times he just led with his mouth. He always regretted sometimes. Most of the time he regretted what he said, right? You know, the time when Jesus said, I got to go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter said, you're not going anywhere. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, right? Have you ever been called Satan by God? Yeah, it's not a good place to be, right? So Peter stands up, opens his mouth, and for once in his life, something good comes out, right? He raises his voice and declares to the crowd. Now, we know thousands of people have gathered. So he's not just preaching his first sermon to a small group. He's preaching to thousands of people. He says, men of Judea. And all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you propose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. So now I don't feel bad for picking Manasseh as my first sermon. He goes Old Testament too and says, we're going to talk about Joel. Now what does Joel say? So in your Bible, we have the message of Joel, who was a minor prophet in the Old Testament, words that were spoken six, seven hundred years before this event. And it shall be in the last days, 
God says that I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Circle the word prophesy in your Bible. And for those of you who are not used to writing in your Bible, don't worry, you're not going to go to hell for writing your Bible. I encourage you, take notes, circle prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So Joel is saying, and Peter is repeating what has already been spoken, there's going to be a day when God pours forth his spirit, and the mark of the outpouring of the spirit will be men and women prophesying. That is the, the biggest takeaway, and this is what we're going to tease out today. What we're experiencing here in Acts 2 is that great outpouring of the spirit that Joel talked about hundreds of years ago come to fulfillment. But the mark, don't miss this. This is not about tongues. So many people want to make this about speaking in tongues. This is not about tongues. This is not about, well, what was the sound? Was it a 747? Was it, was it, what was that noise? What were the fire? What was the flames? What were the, this is not, this is about prophecy. So circle that word. We're going to unpack this. And in, in verse 19, and I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord that, that will, that will come. Verse 19 and 20 is about judgment, radical judgment and and again, these are things that could have taken place when Christ was crucified. Remember, the sky grew dark, and there was this, like, all of a sudden, there was this darkness over the land in the middle of the day. Could have been the, the fall of Jerusalem. Who knows? But all we know is that those verses speak to judgment. Judgment is coming. This is why Peter, in verse 21, says this. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. May God write his eternal truths on our hearts this morning so top shelf message here we go get your pens pencils ready get your little digital devices ready you're going to want to take notes because there are some mind-blowing things going on right here this morning with us so peter's first message starts with joel chapter two i'm going to tell you it is a message of grace just like i spoke 26 years ago at the baptist church with everybody sleeping in the audience it was about grace it was about grace, the fact that God gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace. And so because of Jesus, Peter is telling this crowd, we, are, we have now entered the age of grace. Write down that phrase in your notes, if you would. Because believe it or not, some 2,000 years later, we still live in the age of grace. How many of you are thankful for the age of grace? How many of you need to hear that because we have people in our lives who need to experience God's grace? God's not done yet. Woohoo! We still live in this age of, the, of grace, or we'll call it the age of the Spirit. God is still working. He's changing the hearts of men and women. Cool things are happening. With the coming of the Spirit comes this empowerment, comes this indwelling, comes this baptizing, comes this sealing, comes this filling. The Spirit has shown up. And there's three things I want to talk about this morning that make this so, so wonderful to consider. First thing I want us to look at is from collapse to courage, God's grace of restoration. Peter. Peter, 50 days prior to him preaching this sermon, was the guy in the courtyard who said, I don't know him. He was the guy who not once, not twice, but three times denied knowing Jesus. Here he is 50 days later preaching the greatest sermon ever. How do you go from being a denier of Jesus to being a defender of Jesus? How do you go from collapse to courage? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, someone who's witnessed the risen Lord. Someone who personally is approached by the risen Lord and said, Peter, I know you really screwed up royally. I'm going to restore you. Do you love my sheep? You know I do, Lord. Then go feed them. Do you love my sheep, Peter? Remember that conversation? So Peter, having this one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus, feels restored. He's the one that, 
that now is in this band of disciples, and they're praying. He's the one who, who says we should replace Judas. He's the one who now stands up. And I'm going to tell you right now, what happens to Peter is not an isolated event. It is something that can happen to you and I. His grace in restoring us is remarkable. There is a wonderful lesson here, and I know someone needs to hear this this morning. If not you, me, listen to this. The lesson is this, no matter how great our sins may be, no matter how poorly we may have failed God in the past, no matter what we think we have done to discount us from ever thinking God could love us, it doesn't matter because God's purposes are, are, are going to come true in us and his message to us is I can love you and I can restore you no matter how far you think you've fallen. As someone who has been, been asked to resign from church, by people that I thought were my friends, as people, as a, as a man who thinks, Lord, why would you use a guy like me? Sometimes I yell at my wife. Sometimes I yell at my kids. Sometimes I think thoughts I shouldn't think. Sometimes I, I see things on the internet I shouldn't look at. How many of you are in that same boat I'm in? But praise God, every day he sits there and goes, my grace today is new and sufficient for you. My mercies are new and sufficient for you. I use inadequate, fallible people like yourself, Scott Morgan. How many of you need to hear that God uses weak people like us? His weakness is his canvas for displaying his grace. Thank you, David Kosan. And if God can restore and use a person like Peter, there's good news for you and I. No matter what you've done, where your sin abounds, Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, his grace abounds further. Stop. Stop thinking about your inadequacies. Stop thinking about your failures. Stop thinking about the ways you failed and messed up. Guess what? We're all in the same boat. This is where God's grace comes in and says, I can bring you from collapse to courage. I can take a guy like Peter and move him to be the greatest spokesman for the early church. This is one of many sermons in the book of Acts. Peter has heard a message from the Lord that says, I work best with frail and weak and fallible people. And I said, there go, sign me up. How many of you need to hear that today? God uses people like us. He can restore. He can forgive. God can take a broken vessel like Peter and remake him and refashion him. And isn't this the truth that many of us need to hear this morning? Peter is used greatly by God. And here he is proclaiming this truth with these people. And I'm going to tell you, what comes out of his mouth? Joel 2. Joel chapter 2. And then... Later on, we didn't even read this, his sermon continues. He's going to quote Psalm 16. He's going to quote Psalm 110. Here's what moves him and helps move him from collapse to courage. It's not just God's restoration. This is a man, note this, please. This is a man who obviously has God's word inside of him. You know what you need to move to a place of courage? You need God's word to fill you up. You need... God's voice is never heard apart from his word. This is why when you hear, when Peter opens his mouth, just like with the appointing of Matthias to take Judas's place, he quotes scripture. Here is a man saturated with the word of God. I'm going to tell you right now, if you feel defeated and you feel collapsed and you don't feel that, that sense of God saying, I want to pick you up and I want to restore you, you haven't filled yourself with the word of God. Because the man or woman who's down and feels out and feels crushed and feels damaged will quickly be restored with the word because the word brings life. The word breathes hope. The word points us to a glorious present and an amazing future that without the word we will never have. Capiche, comprende, you get it? All right, here we go. So what is that? First day. first day, here we go. First address, he dresses, he says, first, I go, I want to talk about drunkenness. Can we just talk about drunkenness real quick? No one quotes scripture when they're drunk. I've never met a drunk person that's like, hey, let's do a Bible study, recite scripture. So obviously these guys aren't drunk, right? Some of you who hang around with drunk people, and, and that might be your ministry, so be it. You just never know. It's not like a great theological doctrinal conversation, right? 
Plus, Peter, I love it because he uses a little humor here. And he says, plus it's only the ninth hour. Notice what he says. He goes, not even drunks are drunk at this hour. So these people are not drunk, right? Even drunks have their limits. Can I get an amen from somebody? What is that? Third hour, which is 9 a.m., which is 9 a.m. So, so Peter just says, guys, it doesn't make sense. And the world will try to explain things, and they're just going to be way off because without the Spirit, you'll never understand the things of God. Can I get an amen on that? But here's the thing I love. Peter doesn't come out and, and just slap them and yell at them. He uses humor in his approach and saying, can we, can we talk reasonably? Don't you love that? Can, can you just be a Christian who engages people and maybe just be self-deprecating? Throw a little humor in. Can we not laugh? I, I think sometimes the place where we feel like we can't laugh is church, and the place where we ought to be laughing the most is church. Right? We need humor. And this is what Peter does. He's like, hey, crowd, just so you guys know, I've got a message for you, but just so you know, these guys aren't drunk. Not even the drunks are drunk. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? So, all right, let's go. So I love it. He knows how in, to engage. There's, a, there's this pleasantness about him. There's this reasonableness about him. There's this humor about him. We need, we need more believers like this, right? So we now move to point number two. So Peter, his restoration now prepares him to deliver this message. And, and I will tell, tell you, speaking of, of being drunk, perhaps there is an inebriation going on here, but these people are drunk on the grace of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God. Sometimes in our spiritual lives, we can be so joyful, it may come across as like, are you a little tipsy? Yeah, I'm tipsy on the spirit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to get to that place, which is perhaps why the second point is so important. We go from foretelling to fulfilling God's grace of revelation. Why does Peter quote Joel chapter 2? He goes to the audience, this is not madness, this is a miracle. And what is going on can be explained by Joel 2. Now, I want you to know that Peter's sermon, his entire sermon, if you read it, because it goes beyond verse 21, it's about five minutes. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, don't sit there and start praying and go, I wish your pa pastor's sermons were, were five minutes. You, I preach longer than, than statistically I should. Uh, people, my wife's like, honey, you preached an hour. I go, yeah, is that wrong? Like, people are like, you know the attention span for a normal adult is like 25 minutes. I go, you're better than this. <laughs> 25 minutes, I'm just warming up. 25 minutes, it's just the intro, right? Can I just tell you right now, if you think the biblical sermons were five minutes, you're wrong. Because Luke puts that to lie and says, and many other things he spoke that are not written. <laughs> so just so you know, we get the abbreviated cliff note version, all right? So don't be praying for five-minute sermons, amen? We're in for an hour. So some of you need to cancel lunch plans because here we go. All right, so. What follows is, is this speech. There are 19 speeches or sermons in the book of Acts. Eight of them are applied to Peter. This is his first one. And he explains what is happening by using Joel 2. Here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 16. But this is what Joel prophesied hundreds of years ago. Literally, Peter goes... And, and this is a very, this is a, an audience that's familiar with the Old Testament. This is an audience that is familiar with Joel chapter 2. And Peter goes, what you are experiencing and witnessing is that. He literally says, this is that. He makes a connection because what Joel foretold has now been fulfilled. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament passages of, of prophecy. Joel prophesied a day when God would pour out his spirit on all people. This is that. So Peter unpacks this and he says, there's coming a day, and it's going to be the last days, that God will pour out his spirit on every single person. So you see what, what Peter does? He takes the experience and he frames it in a biblical context. I said this before. I'm going to repeat it again just so we're all aware. Our experiences should never be used to interpret the word of God. Rather, the word of God should always be a gauge and standard by which our experiences are judged. Remember how I said it? I think it was last week. 
we never take what's subjective and try to apply it to, to something objective. The objective always clarifies the subjective. Meaning, I, I'm glad you have feelings, and I, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm sure you're glad I have feelings, but my feelings don't dictate my life. Feelings come and go. Remember in junior high, the daisy and that girl you just really liked? She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, like, we live life as if our our. Our emotions, our feelings are just this arbitrary, he loves me, he loves me, she loves me. Can I just tell you right now, God loves you whether you feel like it or not. My wife loves me whether she feels like it or not. Trust me, there are times when she doesn't want to love me, but she kind of has to. And that's kind of the covenant that we came into with one another 30 years ago. That her feelings for me may not be the greatest feelings a woman is supposed to have with her husband. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, what girds her feelings is the fact that, yeah, uh, he's in my life because I'm going to display the love of Jesus and grace of Jesus to him. So God bless my wife. Give it up for Lori Morgan. I need all the grace I can get, right? But here's the thing that too many of us are led by our feelings. You know, we're in and out of relationships because our feelings. We're in and out of our jobs because our feelings. We're in and out. Stop. The word anchors us. Objective truth anchors us. You know, the person that comes up to me and says, I don't feel like I need to be married to my wife anymore, is the moment I go, you are called to be married to her through thick and thin. Right? The moment you're like, I want to sacrifice my children to foreign gods. I sit there and go, no, you're to, to love your children. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, I want to sacrifice my children to foreign gods, right? Here's the thing. Objectively, I know I'm to honor my wife, right? And sometimes some people go, Scott, you're not honoring your wife. And they'll show me scripture and they'll bring me back to that place. Like, scripture tells us how to live our lives. If I'm not praying and I should be praying, the word tells me that. I don't feel like praying. Well, someone said, well, you pray when you don't feel like praying. You pray when you do feel like praying. You pray until you do feel like praying. You know what I'm saying? That's objective truth. I read the word when I don't feel like reading the word. Why? Because we need the anchors and we need to fight through those feelings and get to the heart of God. That's objective. So Peter says, this experience is rooted in scripture. And what scripture? Joel chapter 2. He reasons with his audience that this is something that God has already told us about. And I love this because he's rational. He's reasonable. Can I just tell you right now, we are to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Too many churches appeal to the emotions, and they almost require you to check your brain at the parking lot. Can, can I tell you right now, I want to intellectually engage you. I want to appeal to your, your intellect. I want to appeal to your mind. I want to appeal to your imagination. This is something C.S. Lewis did. Now, I'm not going to quote C.S. Lewis, but I'm going to tell you why C.S. Lewis has such a profound effect upon people because he appeals to their intellect. And you have to recognize that too many people, they start to follow Christ because it's, it's something they feel. And the moment they don't have the feels for Jesus, they ditch Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, there are logical, rational, and reasonable ways I follow Jesus. And we can talk about that. We can talk about that at Questioner's Cafe at the end of the month. Why is Jesus the only way? We're going to intellectually and rationally talk about this topic. God does not want you to leave your, your brain checked at the parking lot. Can I get an amen on that, right? So he appeals to their intellect. And he says, Joel saw a time hundreds of years ahead of him. When God would pour out his spirit like a flood upon people's lives. And those people, when they experience this flood of God, would prophesy. Notice, it's not that they would speak in tongues. Again, the, there's a wrong obsession today that we're making this all about tongues. This is about prophecy. And he says they're all going to prophesy. And they're all going to speak of the great things of God. That's what prophecy is. So side note, in your notes, write this down. Prophecy is speaking the word of God. It is not foretelling today. It is foretelling what God has already revealed. 
There is no longer prophecy giving. We have all the prophecy that God wants us to have. It's called 66 books in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You have the complete counsel of the word of God right here in our hands. It's called the scriptures. And prophecy is that ability to communicate the truth of God. This is exactly what, what Peter does right here. Joel 2. Let me tell you what's happening. Joel 2 says, all people. Now, three things I want you to, to, to look at under this note of, of revelation. All revelation will communicate three things. There's going to be a message of generosity. God will pour out his spirit. The word pour, circle it in your Bible. It's not a, a, a trickle. It's not just, you know, conserving water. Better not run the water too much. Just like, it's not even like a shower, right? Some of you are like, yeah, my shower pressure in my house is horrible, right? Get a new shower. This is a downpour. This is like an intense monsoon in Arizona. All Arizonans, can you, can you, can you relate? When those rains come in, it is like, done, but our streets are all flooded, right? It's this immediate downpour of water, so much so that we're, we're, not, we're never prepared for the deluge that's about to happen. And God says, my love for you is a downpour. God is generous. Do not think that God is a skimpy God. So many of us act as if, God, he's run out of grace for me. Are you freaking kidding me? He's run out of compassion towards me. Can I tell you one of the best things? So I just, Lori celebrated a birthday this week. I celebrated a birthday. You know what we do on our birthday day? We take the day off from work and just drive around and get all the freebies from all the restaurants that are giving away free stuff. And people ask me, my staff at the, at the coffee house were like, what did you do today? I went to eight restaurants. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. You know why? Because when I hear something is free, it ignites a maniac in me. I'm going, I'm eating barbecue, I'm eating pizza, I'm eating donuts, I'm drinking highly caffeinated beverages, which I know some of you are like, you've had too many. No, there's never enough. I, when I hear something that's free, I wish my birthday was every day. I'd be 400 pounds, I would have horrible, horrible health, but I'm glad it's only one day a week, but that one, one day a year, that one day a year, guess what? I capitalize on getting all the free stuff I can get. And you know what's cool about having a wife who's two, two days older that I mentioned? She's an older woman, cradle robber. I, I get to eat her food. She goes out and goes, what do you want? And so for two days, I get freebies. Here's the thing. God doesn't limit his free stuff for you to one day a week. He doesn't limit it to you for one day a month. He doesn't even limit it to one day a year. He gives you freely this outpouring, this downpour of grace and kindness and compassion and mercy, and we sit there and act as if he's just turning on this little trickle of a faucet of his love for you. Ladies and gentlemen, you have no idea what is stored up for you in Christ that you have yet to turn the faucet on full force. You walk through this life thinking God is a stingy God, and I'm sitting there going, he is ready to downpour his blessings upon your life. The question is, are you ready? Are you opening up those, those channels where through prayer and through the word and through fellowship, he is ready to dump lavishly? You, you ever thought about this? He wants to soak and saturate you in his grace. And some of you don't understand this about God. And, it, and yet it's what is prophesied. This is what the spirit brings, a downpour of God's generosity into your life. And all God's people said, he's looking at a day when you are going to be walking down the street and you're going to see visions by daytime and you're going to be dreaming of his generosity at night. You're going to wake up with a smile on your face because he's going to say to you in your subconscious state, I'm a good God. And where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And where sin thinks it has its heyday, God's love and forgiveness abounds all the more. Ladies and gentlemen, you are going to dream dreams and have visions, and you're going to have this word on your lips, and you're going to say, God is good. So this message of generosity is found throughout Scripture. 
God is not a God who's reluctantly holding back. He's a God who's generous, and he's ready to lavish upon you a downpour of his blessings. Second message we see in Scripture is this, message of universality. No one, no one is counted out of this generous God and his love. He's going to pour out his love. What does it say? Verse 17, in the last days I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind. Now this doesn't mean that all mankind is saved. What it means is those who are moved by God to surrender their lives, die to themselves, will experience life and life abundantly. That's why he closes in verse 21, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It requires a reception. It requires an acceptance. But you need to know, men and women, you are here and you're thinking, I hear you preach, Pastor Scott, but I'm not believing it. You need to believe it. If he can save a wretch like me, he can save you. How many wretches we got in the audience? Hi, my name's Scott. I'm a wretch. Hi, Scott. Yeah. You, are you a wretch too? God loves us. And he'll love you to the end. But he needs to break through to your heart. You need to give up with this, this complex that says you can't be loved. He's going to lavish his love upon all people. Every day, every single person in this world experiences God's common grace. He causes the rain to shine on the saved and the unsaved. He causes to, to, the, the, the rain to shine. Did I say rain to shine? Eight, eight shots of espresso will do that to you. He'll cause the rain to fall. On the saved and unsaved, he'll cause the sun to shine on the, the, the saved and the unsaved. Everyone experiences his common grace. And every day, the good things that we experience in life are meant to point us to a great God. We don't fall in love with the rain. We don't fall in love with the sun. We fall in love with the God who's the author of this who says, I want to love you. And when you experience God's love, that's called special grace. That's called saving grace. And this is available for all who would call upon the name of the Lord. See, it's not just a message of universality and generosity. It's a message of finality. Because Peter says what Joel prophesied as something yet to come, well, here it is. It's finally here. And just so you know, this is the last chapter of God's redemptive history. When Jesus came... He inaugurated this brand new age of grace. But he's coming back. And now we live between these two poles of existence. Christ came, was crucified, buried, risen again. But he's coming back, just like he said he would. Are you prepared? Because the message is this. We are living, look in verse 17, in the last days. Circle that phrase. You need to understand that the next great event to happen is Christ's second coming. We are living in last days. If, if, you've, if you've adopted a system of theology that says, oh, no, 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 we're not in the last days. Those days are coming after a rapture. Those days are coming after a tribulation. You are against biblical writers. Every biblical writer said, we're living in last days. And the next event to happen is Jesus is coming back. And guess what happens when he comes back? There's no second chances. That's why there's a finality to this. You don't know when you're going to meet your maker. Are you ready? Today is the day of salvation. This is why Peter would say in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. Those are the last days. Who, who of you who through or him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and God, God gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God? See, Peter is very clear. These are the last days. He's coming back. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says this, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. What are you waiting for? Some of you are like, I'm waiting for that message in the sky, you know, for God to somehow write in the clouds and, and to maybe in my fortune cookie and my astrological horoscope or something like that. I need a message. Guess what? The message is here. It's Jesus. 
In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Every writer of the New Testament says we're living in the end times. And Christ is coming back. No one knows the day or the hour. But here's what you're not to be concerned about, the day or the hour. You're going to be concerned about where your heart is. Do you know him? Because if not, judgment will happen. And this is why Peter declares this message. It's not too late. Today is the day of salvation. Which brings us to our last point. And this is where I think for me, this is, this is for, for, for all of us. We move from embrace to empowerment. God's grace in reaching. God has reached down to you. And because he's reached down to you, he now wants you to reach out to others. Look at verse 17. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and their young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my bond slaves and, my, and men and women. In those days I will pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Why this emphasis on prophesy? Because prophecy is what this world needs. And it's not new prophecy, it's prophecy that's already been given to us, as I've already said, the word of God. And here's the beautiful thing that I want to get at, is that now that the Spirit has come, He has now turned us all into prophets. Write that word down, prophet. Matter of fact, write down the phrase, I am a prophet of God. Some of you are going, whoa, what are we talking about? I've never, ever thought of myself as a prophet of God. Well, that's probably the problem. Because now that God has poured forth his spirit, if you are here today and you are in Christ, you have been given all of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has now taken up residence within you for a very important work. To go and reach all people with the message of Jesus Christ. What would, I t what, would, what would you say if I told you the reason you have been saved is for you to be a prophet to the world to tell the great things of God? Some of you have never understood your life this way. Some of you have never understood salvation in this context. But this is exactly what Peter is talking about. In the Old Testament, when Joel was writing, prophets were a uniquely picked group of people. They were kings, they were, they were uh, judges, they were, they were priests. And you see in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would come upon certain people at different times and, and uh, anoint them for special works of service. Most people never had that anointing of the Spirit. But, Paul, but Peter's actually saying something completely different here. Every person now in Christ is anointed permanently by the Spirit and anointed for one particular reason, to be a prophet. Numbers chapter 11. Some of you are not believing me. I'm going to defend my, my case. Some of you are looking at me like, wait, what? This, this is huge. So Moses... And we're going to look at this passage here in a minute. In, in Exodus 18, write it down, look at it later. We don't have it on the screen. Exodus 18. Moses, prophet of God, anointed by the Spirit, is doing so much ministry among the people, he's getting tired. His father-in-law, Jethro, not just a cool name from a, a show called the Beverly Hillbillies, but uh, the early Jethro, comes to Moses and says, how come you're doing all the work? You're, you're getting burnt out. And Moses says to his father-in-law, because no one else has the spirit to do the work. Jethro says, why don't you ask God to have him give the spirit to other people to help shoulder the load? Numbers 11. 
So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. So he picked 70 guys that he says, I need you to help me do the work of ministry. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Now the two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. So parents who were looking for new names, awesome names, right? And the spirit rested on them. And they were among those registered, but they had not gone out of the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad, Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them, right? Stop them from doing the work. Because obviously Joshua didn't get the message that other people were going to be anointed by the Spirit. But Moses said to him, look at this. Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. And that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Here's what I want you to see here. Moses wished that every person that was a part of that tribe had the Holy Spirit to help do the work of ministry. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets? Would that all... This week, this has been my prayer for us, would that all of Missio Day be prophets of the Lord. Lord, help me as a pastor, as a shepherd, let this church know that it's not me who alone is appointed to do the work of, of the Lord. Would it be, Lord, that your will for every person in this body be a prophet of God? Because what we have falsely communicated in our Christian culture is ministry is done by the professional elite. Shame on us. Oh, we, 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 we have a job opening? Well, let's just hire somebody. Okay, how degreed are they? How experienced are they? Let's get them into that role. Versus the body of Christ made up of people who claim to have the living Lord residing in them by the Spirit. Oh, that all of Missio Dei were prophets of God. How dare we think that ministry is done by people who have it all together. Ladies and gentlemen, look at case number one. That's not true. Perhaps you've heard God can't use you. Perhaps you've heard you're not credentialed enough. Perhaps you've heard that you don't have enough experience. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have all that you need. Because here are the two things that fueled and gave the fire to the prophets. Two things are in your notes. Knowing God intimately and sharing God faithfully. You know what a prophet did? They spent time with their God. And you know what that prophet did when they spent time intimately with their God? They heard God's voice speak to them through his word. And then when they heard his word, they went out and they faithfully shared his truth, his word with others. That is the job of a prophet. Oh, that all of Missio Dei were prophets of God. Oh, that every single one of you would hear a neighbor share a, a, some sort of brokenness in their life, and you would be so moved to say, I can pray for you. I can share a truth with you. Versus, hey, let me call my pastor and see if we can set up an appointment, and we can go get coffee, and we can hang out with him. Listen, I love your neighbor, but I'm not going to love your neighbor like you're going to love your neighbor. Oh, that all of Missio Dei were prophets of God. That you were men and women mobilized to go out into the world and pray and share and talk and counsel and minister and comfort and point people to Jesus. This is not the job of your pastor. This is the job of every person who has been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
Joel chapter 2. The day has arrived when the Spirit has been poured out fully upon His people. And the mark of that baptism is we're going to be prophets. Some of you don't yet buy it. And that's okay. Here's what I want. I want there to be an openness to say, Lord, if, if what Pastor Scott is, is, is sharing is true, I have been saved for, for a reason. There's a calling on my life that goes way beyond my job, my workplace, my wife, my kids, my husband, whatever. There's a calling on my life now to help enter a fractured world, a broken world, a messed up world, and point people to the only hope there is, and that's Jesus Christ. Forgive me for making that the job of only my pastor. Can you, can you, can you just pray that in your heart? People are like, well, I've had people. And this is where you will just Holy Spirit slap people up and up down. The, you are called to go and share. And they look at me and they go, that's not my job. That's why we pay you. And I just sit there and go, Ooh, look out. Someone's going to get Holy Spirit slapped up the, the face now. No. I think that once a week, only once a week. <laughs> we have, we have, we have inadvertently taught the church that what happens up on the stage is ministry and the rest of us just absorb as an audience what's taking place and then we just leave and go I was so blessed by the music and I was so encouraged by my pastor and I can't wait till next week why not wait till the next hour or the next day when God say to you you now step in to the trenches and get busy you go out into the world and share the hope that's in you you go out and minister right there's only a little bit of me to go around. There's a lot of us to be mobilized and, and infiltrate the world with the hope that we say we have in Christ. Just like football. You've heard me share this illustration again, right? We're at the end of the season. Go Bengals. Church is like a football game. There's 22 men on the field in dire need of, ex of rest, and there's 70,000 people in dire need of exercise. Get off your ass. Get on the field. Start working for Jesus. Can I get an Amen. There's this doctrine called the priesthood of all believers. As if being a prophet is new to you today, how about being a priest? Every single one of us has an important part to play. And perhaps we're not making a dent in our world because we have yet to understand that, oh, I wish all God's people were prophets. Oh, I wish all God's people were priests. You don't need to go to school. You don't need to attend a training or a seminar. If you have the Holy Spirit within you because you're a believer in Christ, you have all you need. But this is where the magic happens. I hate to use that phrase. This is where the magic happens. God won't use you. Or he will be reticent to use you if you're not intimately spending time with him and soaking and saturating your heart and mind in his word. You want to be used of God? You got to spend time with him. You got to listen to him. You got to pour over his truth that he's given to you. And when you have spent time with him and heard his voice through his scripture, you're going to be ready to go out and minister. And you're going to come back and be like, you're not going to guess this conversation I had last week. Tell me, tell me, tell me. That is, that is the scorecard here at Missio Day. How we can equip and mobilize you to do the work of ministry so you come back and share stories of people you've talked to. And let me just tell you, the end goal is not to get them to church. The goal is to get them to Jesus. Some of you haven't broken out of the institutional mindset yet. You are not called to get people to church. You're called to introduce them to Jesus. And you know what that's going to happen? It's where you're going to live your life Monday through Sunday. Your workplace, your neighborhood, your schools, wherever. Oh, 
how I wish we were all prophets of God. Let me close with this. And here's the word of encouragement. Joel chapter 2. See what, what Peter shared with us? There's something that comes before. And here's the promise. My prayer is that you would all know Jesus. My prayer is that knowing Jesus, you would understand you're filled with the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that now that you have all of God, he's not lacking, you're not lacking anything. He's giving you all of himself. Woohoo! That you would spend time intimately with him and listen to his voice speak to you truth so that you're ready to share. But here's what undergirds this entire conversation. What Joel says before the passage we read today. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And then it continues. In Joel chapter 2, it continues, says, You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. Amen? And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame. Whew. There's no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. Rend your hearts and not your garments. God doesn't want your religious activity. He wants a broken and contrite spirit. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day God says, return to me. Because there's some here who have yet to know the grace of Christ. Today is that day of salvation and accepting that love. But it's also for those of you who have been a part of the church for, for decades, perhaps. You know how to talk the talk but you've never returned to the Lord and said, I'm available to be your prophet in this world. Today's the day of that awakening. And together, as the people of God, we can storm hell with a squirt gun, amen, and see people have smiles on their face because there's a hope that transcends anything this world could ever offer, and it's a hope that's rooted in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Love you. Thankful for you. Now I get to look at this little section here that I didn't get a chance to look at. Here's my prayer. Lord, may Missio Day be the prophets that you want us to be. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, you once again have broken into the busyness of our lives, worked through all the distractions that we're surrounded with on a daily basis, and I believe you have, you have pricked our hearts and poked around in our minds and have given us something substantial to think about. For the person that's here today who has never surrendered to Jesus, may this be the day of, of new beginnings, of new hope, of a new relationship with you. May they know that in Christ all sins are forgiven, the old is done away with, and there's a new season that has come. And that you're a God who delights in creating us into new creatures. And for the church that has already been redeemed, mobilize us for the work of bringing hope into our world. Oh, that Missio Day would be the prophets of God that we have been set apart to be. Show us, Lord, that nothing else matters. May we be people who are knitted to your heart, O oh God. 
And as a result of our knittedness to you, go forth and bring a message of hope to all people. Empower us to that end. For your glory and the world's good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord be peaceful toward you. May the Lord continue to lift up his countenance toward you and give you his mercy and grace and kindness forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day.